tell you the truth, I've been quite nervous about speaking today. Um, for those of you that don't know, I'm speaking on the topic of uh, divine healing. And does God heal today? Um, and yeah, quite nervous about it, but I've gotten really good now. It's swallowing down the, the pre-preaching grow up. So you're all okay. It's all, it's all taken inside. I was just considering, when we talk about healing, we have a prophetic word over the life of this church that we are a citadel of health. It's part of who we are. It's part of our DNA. This is us. We are a citadel of health. And when you think of citadels, you think of these strong fortresses, and you, you might have seen your, your mountainside castles and all of that kind of thing. And uh, my mind was immediately taken to um, Lord of the Rings, as happens quite often, because I, I love Lord of the Rings. Um, to the Battle of Helm's Deep, um, for those of you that don't know, the, the, the country of Rohan are on the, the back end of the, the evil forces of Sauron, and they're there in their citadel, in their fortress. And there are 300 men, broken men, green men, people that don't know what to do. And they are terrified at the oncoming onslaught. They're terrified. And Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, he, he took inspiration of that moment from a, a famous battle in history called the Battle of Thermopylae with the 300 Spartans. If you've seen 300, we, this is Sparta. It's uh, shaped a generation, it shaped a generation. Uh, and, and for them, there were 300 Spartans that, that stood at the gates of Thermopylae, this mountain pass, and, and held fast the hordes of Persia from coming and sweeping across the nation of Greece. And they held them such that the, the rest of the, the city-states that they were could gather all of their forces and then fight off the Persians, and they were able to hold on for dear life. And we, as a church, have been facing an onslaught in this realm of health. So many people that we love dearly have just been struggling. My, my wife, um, she has diabetes. And we've prayed and we've prayed and there's nothing we can do. Keith here as well, and nothing we can do. But we have not yet seen breakthrough. I've been speaking with people over the last few weeks and finding that there are so many people struggling with their mental health. Suicidal thoughts feeling overwhelmed, ashamed of who they are. It just feels like an onslaught. And yet, this is not what it is for us. Holding on by our very fingertips to make sure that we can just get past this battle. I was reminded as I was thinking about these things of Gideon. And God comes and he calls Gideon to come and fight against the Midianites that have just been terrorizing the nation of Israel. And he says, I'm going to raise up 300 people, and these 300 people will come, and this army will come and devour and destroy the army of the Midianites. And do you know what happened? They came in, and they utterly overwhelmed them. 300 people against thousands. Against thousands. And for us as a people that are the citadel of health. Our calling is not to hold on, to, to ride the storm. Our calling is to go out on the offensive and to defeat the oppressive forces of evil. 
that are causing sickness and malaise, not just in our family and in our community, but in this town and in our region. That is our calling, to go on the offensive. And this is why this is so important to talk about today. We are in the midst of a battle. For me, healing... um, I've had a bit of a strange relationship with healing because I believe that God is all-powerful. I have no qualms with that whatsoever. Um, and I, have, um, I believe that God can and does do miracles. I've seen it take place. I remember being across in the other room when Arna Skargan came and he prayed for a man with one leg that was shorter than the other and it grew right in front of our very eyes. I've seen it. But I was, I was in my, my daily readings a few months back And uh, I came across um, Matthew 9. If you just want to turn to Matthew 9 in your Bibles. We're reading from verse 35. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And it was one of those things that just made me stop in my tracks. Because I'd always considered healing a wonderful part of God's kingdom, a wonderful wonderful part of God's plan, that he can come in his grace and in his mercy and in his power and his love, and he can come and bring healing on those that he wants to. But I'd never connected that it it was intrinsic, it was tied together with the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. I'd never, I'd never thought of it. And if we are to be a people that are proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, we need to be seeing a lot more healing. Because they go hand in hand. Like a glove on a hand, they come together. Jesus went about and he taught and he preached and he healed. That's what this was saying out there. And for me, I'm very comfortable in church. People come up to me and ask me for prayer. No problem whatsoever. But in Tesco Cafe when I find out that somebody's poorly, my heart is racing. And yet Jesus is going out and about in the villages and the towns and in all the other synagogues and places, teaching and preaching and healing. And so God began to do a work in me over these last few months where I needed to sort out my theology on healing, where I needed to believe that in the proclamation of the gospel, healing comes hand in hand. And so what I was doing was that I was working on the basis of my experience where I haven't seen too much healing. I've prayed for people and they've been healed before, but I've not seen a lot. But what I need to do is I need to match my experience. Oh, I, I, my, my reality is shaped by what the scripture says and what the word of God says, not by what my experience says and dictates. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to just go through some scriptures about what God says about healing, what the word of God says about healing, so that our reality is shaped by the scriptures and that we can go in faith. Okay? Does that sound good? I'm also preaching next week. You're so lucky. Where I'll be going through kind of common questions and how we can actually go and pray for people. But this morning... I just want to share what the Word of God says about healing. 
Okay? Each and every one of us has a particular worldview. I've just shared a little bit of mine and how it's had to change. And your worldview, you don't necessarily know that you have one. Uh, you don't even know what it is that you necessarily believe because all of it is kind of unarticulated. It's stuff that you, you learn as you grow up. You learn in school. You learn with your parents. Your parents never sit you down and say, this is our worldview. Okay? It's just stuff that you learn as you're going along. And we've grown up in a Western environment. Uh, typically, it's known as Western rationalism. That means that we live in a material universe. We just have stuff and we, we practically apply what we see to our experience, and then we make sense of the world through that. That's typically what happens. And what you find in a Western viewpoint, in a Western worldview, is that they divorce the spiritual side from reality. And this is the world that we have grown up in. And so we find that many people kind of really struggle with the spiritual aspects of what's taking place in a Christian worldview. So it's like a, putting on a pair of sunglasses. They color everything we see. Um, someone said it's not so much what we see with, but, but what we see with. Uh, there's one universe, one world, one reality, one human existence. That There is all of that, but we see things differently based on all of our experiences and based on the culture in which that we've grown up in. Uh, it's like a, a bit like a map or a compass, a, a worldview. It guides, it directs, it orients where we are, where we are going, and how to get there. Um, a worldview, it, it sifts and it sorts and it accepts and it rejects and it gives context to life. It interprets, it explains, and it imparts meanings to things about, about God, about universe, about our world, about ourselves. It, it, it can enlighten our minds about the world and our place in it. And, and we're seeing this at the moment, where there's this clash of worldviews taking place with, with identity politics, with what's taking place in Israel and Palestine, with what's taking place in Russia and Ukraine, with uh, China and America, uh, between different religions. There's, there's so much difference out there, but there's just one reality and one existence. And the world is just in confusion. So a, a very, a very, just to kind of illustrate it for you, a very simple ex example would be that um, time for us is a resource. So we might say, how, how have you spent your time? Uh, uh, I, I had to go and do this thing and I lost all this time and I need to make it all up. How do you use your time? It, it's a resource. And this, this comes back to the Industrial Revolution where factories were created uh, and people were starting to time manage people in their jobs and making sure that it was efficiency, 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 efficiency. And so in our Western world, time as a resource has just become part of our worldview. We'd go, of course, that makes sense. That's just sensible. That's just wise. But if you go into a lot of different other cultures, John's laughing, having spent a huge amount of time in Africa, that is just not the case. It's just not the case. And we go, well, that is wrong. Is it? And actually, that viewpoint is shaped by a capitalistic worldview. 
And of course, there's wisdom and all of that kind of stuff that we can, we can come and we can take of it. But that is something very practical that most of us here in this room will go, oh, I never really thought of that. Uh, in the Bible, we see that there is an ancient cosmogony. That means that they, they just looked at the world differently. It was a three-tiered system. There was the water, there was the land, there was the sky. That was it. The land was flat, it was set on pillars. But that was their worldview, and it colored the way that they interpreted their reality. Now, we can go, oh, that's not quite right. Obviously, the world is round, and there's so much more in the universe than, than just that. We're not the center of the universe. We're in this particular solar system, in this galaxy, amongst a whole cluster of galaxies. And so we have to come to a place where we can look at the scriptures and look at the worldview that it presents and go, is it reliable? Is it something that we can put our trust in, put our faith in? Okay? Science, I believe, points to the fact that there is a God of the universe. There are so many different scientific laws governing, it's called the fine-tuning argument, um, that, that say that if, if, one, if there was one degree of difference between uh, in the law of gravity, things just wouldn't work. We wouldn't exist. If there was one little difference in light, life wouldn't exist. If there was one little difference in dark matter and antimatter, and all, it, life just wouldn't. You could take so many of these different rules, and if there was just a tiny, tiny tweak, life would not exist. We would not exist. Logically speaking, in a Western worldview, that points to a creator. Okay? It doesn't necessarily point to our God, but it points to a creator. Okay? And I think when you look at philosophy as well, um, philosophy uh, contains so much different aspects, so many different aspects. But one area in particular on ethics and morality, I think it points to the fact that there is a God out there who is concerned with us because we have this need to know what is right and what is wrong. And so many people over the course of history have tried to define that for themselves, and they've come up with their own systems, whether it's utilitarianism or whether it's um, and Nietzscheism, uh, Nietzsche with his nihilism, where basically just go and do whatever you want. You get Nazism, by the way, if, if you go along with that. You've got um, different religious worldviews and takes as well when it comes to morality. But I think it points to the fact that there is a God that is out there that is concerned with each and every one of us in some way, shape, or form. And you go, well, how then can you jump to our God? How can you jump to Jesus as being the most reliable worldview that is out there? And I just think that history points to it. Because when you look at history and you look at the life of Jesus, he comes and he's a fantastic teacher. You look at the, the Beatitudes and the, the blessed are those that are poor in spirit and all of those kinds of things. There's been no other greater teaching than that. You can go to people all across the world and they go, this is magnificent. This is kind of cream of the crop. This is excellent, excellent stuff. Radical thinking. But Jesus' identity and his, his teaching, it, it all flows from the fact that he believed that he was the son of God. He wasn't just some wise guy he wasn't just some great teacher. He just wasn't some really nice guy that was exceptionally good at doctoring and was ahead of his time or anything like that. He believed that he was the son of God. 
And he said that I have authority from heaven to do all of this that I am doing because of that. And so, therefore, everything that I say is, is just different. <laughs> everything changes because of my life and what I'm doing here because I'm the Son of God. So you can't validate his ministry because of his teaching or anything like that because it's all based on this. And Jesus said, and the scriptures say, that it's in the resurrection of Jesus, in the resurrection of Jesus, in his death and his resurrection, that his ministry is validated. And when you look at the historical facts that are out there, it is unequivocal. Jesus died and he rose again. Why on earth would you have a bunch of people who saw him die and hang on a cross then give their own lives later on if they believed that he had died and had never risen again? They must have seen something. They must have experienced something. And that validated that. So I think when you have science, when you have philosophy, when you have the historical record, it points to the fact that there is a Christian worldview out there that is reliable. Why am I, why am I giving you this foundation? Because we need to trust it. We need to believe in it. In Acts 28, Paul is in Malta. This is just another a good example of different worldviews. Paul is in Malta, and he, he comes in off a shipwreck. And uh, the people of Malta, they come in, they help them, and, and, and they see this poisonous snake come and latch on to Paul. And they go, wow, Paul must be a really bad guy. He's been on a sh- and so their worldview is he's on a shipwreck. There's, there's destiny that is out there that is making sure that this bad guy does not escape. And so this snake comes, ordained by the gods, to bite him, to kill him. And of course then uh, what happens is he shakes off the snake, casts it into the fire, and uh, the, the people of Malta, they're just waiting, waiting for him just to kind of keel over, and nothing happens. Nothing. And so they go, wow, this changes our worldview. He must be a god. That must be the only rational explanation for this. Paul himself must be a god. Now, if we were there, we probably would have gone, well, it was probably an old snake. Maybe, maybe it bit somebody a bit earlier on in the day. Maybe it lost some teeth or something like that. But Paul says, no, that is not the case. Because snakes can bite me and they won't have any effect because of what Jesus has done in my life. So can we trust the scriptures? I'll move on to the next point then. (laughs) Again, the scriptures, they are validated by the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus believed in them. And of course, there was no New Testament um, after Jesus ascended to go back and be with the Father. But what we find in the New Testament is they are fleshing out the entirety of the Old Testament in light of everything that Jesus and the Spirit have done. They are reliable, historical books, texts that we can draw upon to see how we can immerse ourselves into life together with Jesus. The whole point of it is it's not like a, it's not like a manual. It's not like a, uh, an instruction booklet or, or any, a textbook or anything like that. What it is, is a story. It's a story of how God came into this world, 
of how God redeemed, restored, and renewed this world and invites us to come and be a part of that story. And this is, and this is the, the thing that C.S. Lewis and Tolkien really kind of discovered for themselves. And this story is not just a story, it's real. This is the real thing. This is the real deal. And it becomes our story. And so when we come to the issue of healing, we've got to look at the Christian worldview, we've got to look at the scriptures, and we've got to, we've got to see, is it the will of God for all people to be healed? And if we can prove from the word of God today that it is God's will to heal all, then every one of us is included in that. Okay? Um, <clears throat> And again, I just want to say it's important that it comes from the word of God, not just from the experiences that we can, we can talk about, because most people will argue against healing from their experiences. They can say, well, it can't be God's will to heal all, because I know some who, who are godly people as well, and they are really, really sick. And so they argue against healing from that position of experience. And some argue against uh, healing on other grounds. But, but we're going to look at what the word of God says, not at what a man's theory says. And we'll make sure that our experience lines up with the word of God. Okay? So first things first. And we're just going to shoot through these scriptures now. Um, God, when he first made man, brought man into this world in the way that he wanted men to be. Free of sin, free of sickness, full of happiness, full of peace. Okay? So Adam, when he is first created is an open manifestation, a full declaration of God's will for every single person. And so God says, if you want to know what my will is for you regarding health, then look at how I created man in the start. That's point number one. Point number two, um, it's God's very name. It's in his nature. So in Exodus 15, 26, you can jump there if you would like. So God has um, just rescued the people out of Israel. Uh, they've been oppressed by the Egyptians and there have been the, the seven plagues that have come and they finally come through. They've just sung their song of praise to God. And then this is what God says. Uh, the Lord made a decree and a law for them and there he tested them. And he said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. <clears> that Israel is distinct from the rest of the world in this, in this moment here. They are God's special people. She had been in Egypt. She'd seen all of the diseases coming on Egypt. She'd seen all of the afflictions of God's judgment coming upon Egypt. And then God makes this great promise to his people. And he says this, if you will walk diligently, if you keep my word, and if you keep my commandments, then none of the sicknesses you've seen in Egypt will come upon you. I am the Lord who heals you. And that was his name. He is the Lord, our healer. Now, when, when God comes and he reveals aspects of his name, he's telling you aspects of his nature whether he's healer or whether he's provider or whether he's the I am. He, that is who he is. 
You cannot act contrary to your nature. God acts in keeping with his nature. So if he is the healer, it's because he wants to heal. If he's the creator, it's because he creates. Because he's the savior, he saves. And because, of the, he, because he's the healer, it's his will and his nature and in his desire to heal. Now, he isn't the world's healer. He's the church's healer. He's the Christian's healer. He's the people's healer. He didn't say to the Egyptians, I am the Lord who heals you. He said to Israel, I'm going to heal you. He said, I heal you, and I'll put none of the diseases you see in Egypt on you. So I'm not saying it's the, the will of God here to heal all of the world who rejects Jesus. But I'm saying that once a man is born again, once you are seeing the proofs in the word of God that it is his will, then those people can and should and will walk in health. Next point. We can look and see how God views sickness. Okay? And in in Deuteronomy 28, uh, this is the the section where um, it's called the blessings and the curses. Okay? It's a very uh, long description of blessings and a very, very, very long description of curses. Um, But in and throughout that all, in the blessings, at no point does God say it is a blessing for you to be sick. At no point does he say that. But in the curses, there is a long list of sickness. Okay? Sickness does not come out of a position of blessing, but only from a position of judgment. And he says that it's all going to come upon you. And that doesn't mean that it's, it's part and parcel of what it should be. Because in verse 60, he says, he says this. He says that I'm going to bring it back to you. That means that those things have gone. Sicknesses have gone. So they weren't living under those sicknesses. They were, they were free from all of the sicknesses. And he's saying it needn't be, but if you do choose to go in your own way, then sickness is one of the inevitable outcomes upon your choice and your decision if you choose not to follow in my way. Okay? So that's in the scripture. We have God's viewpoint. Sickness is a blessing. Uh, sorry. <laughs> that was a slip, wasn't it? sickness is not a blessing, it's part of the curse. It's not sourced in God himself. It's the source of judgment. So does that mean that every time I fail, that sickness is going to hit me? Uh, Well, there is some fantastic news uh, that someone, a certain someone called Jesus, came to redeem us from this very curse. So if you go to uh, Galatians 3 and verse 13, This is what it says. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He's taken away all of the judgments of the curse of law-breaking from us. And that includes all of the sicknesses of the world. He took us from us by himself taking, by taking our place on the tree. So it's the will of God on those who count on him that he comes and he wants to heal. Okay, next point is this. 
Jesus came to do the will of God. If you go to John 6, 38. And this is uh, in, a, in a bit where Jesus is talking about how he is the bread of life. Uh, this is one of his I am statements. But in verse 38, he says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Okay? So the only thing that Jesus came on earth to do was to do the will of the Father. And never, ever, ever, not once, did Jesus make anyone sick. Never. In fact, when you look through the pages of the Gospels, all you ever see is healing upon healing upon healing upon healing. Because it's the will of God. Isn't it great that you can look through those Gospels and not find a single case where Jesus goes and makes anybody else sick? And that it's just filled with people set free and liberated from the oppression that they have lived under. Why? It's the will of the Father. Okay, next point. Um, Jesus told us to pray for God's will to be done. Okay? Um, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer, he says, uh, <clears throat> um, he teaches, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Revelation, we read that in heaven, there's no tears, there's no pain, there's no suffering. Okay? So we are to pray for that kingdom to come. And in fact, Jesus connects the kingdom with healing in Matthew 10. So if you jump to Matthew 10, So this is where Jesus uh, sends his disciples out on placement uh, to go out and about. And in verse uh, 6, this is what Jesus says. He says, rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel, and as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, what is the very next thing that he says? He says, so make sure that everybody reads their Bibles. Make sure that everybody is plugged in and going along to synagogue and, and, and enjoying community together. Nope. What does he say? He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Jesus is connecting the preaching of the kingdom of God with us going out and healing. That's what he's doing. So as we pray for God's kingdom to come, that is what we are praying, that people will be set free and liberated from the oppression that they've been going through. And it's not just for Jesus to go out and do it. It's not just for the Holy Spirit to go out and do it. Jesus can go and do anything he wants. He's the Son of God. But he chooses to invite us in in that journey as well. He chooses us to be his voice, to be his hands, and to be his feet, and to be those that administrate this healing into the world. Uh, next point. Jesus saw Satan as the source of sickness. Okay? So let's go to Luke 13. This is the, the story of the crippled woman. She had a, a, an arthritic condition, probably, and uh, she had been crippled for 18 years. 
18 years. Uh, it's in, uh, from verse 11. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Now, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath entire his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Jesus saw her oppression, saw her sickness as coming directly from Satan. Directly from Satan. When you... Um, When you read 1 John 3 and verse 8, it says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. In Acts 10.38, this is the, the bit where um, Peter has been um, summoned by God and summoned by Cornelius to come and preach for the very first time to the Gentiles. And as part of it, he talks about how God had anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus saw that sickness was something that came from the devil. That's what he saw. And he said, I am here to destroy the works of the devil. And so therefore, the end goal is all sickness will be destroyed. And he invites us to come and to be a part of that. Next one. This one's really good. This one's really good. Jesus never turned anyone away. We're just going to go through um, the scriptures in Matthew for this, but there, there are plenty more. Okay. So in Matthew 4, 23, 24, I'm going to shoot through them. So if you just want to write them down, you can do. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sicknesses and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went, went throughout all Syria and they brought, unto him, uh, brought to him all sick people that were taken um, with diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those um, which were insane and those that had palsy and he healed them all. In Matthew 8, 16 to 17, um, it says that he healed all that were sick. In Matthew 9, verse 35, it says he went about all cities and all villages. This is what I um, referenced before. And he healed every sickness and every disease among the people. Matthew 12, verse 15, uh, it says that great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. In Matthew 14, verse 14, it says that Jesus went out and he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion toward them and he healed all their sick. Nobody's turned away. It goes on. Matthew 14, verse 34 to 36. This is where he goes over to the land of Gennesaret. And, uh, and all these people came and they, they just wanted to touch him and as many as touched him 
were made well. All of them that touched him were made well. Matthew 15, verse 30 to 31. Great multitudes came to him, and they were lime, and they were blind, and they were dumb, and they were maimed, and many others, and they cast down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them all. Matthew 19, verse 2. Great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Matthew 21, verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them all. Jesus never turned anyone away. Never. So there's great news, because if there's anyone that's sick here this morning, there's not a single verse that I can find that can prove to me that you are not included in the will of God. If you love God and if you're born of God, it's the will of the Father that he, as your healer, comes and heals you. Next point. Jesus secured our healing by the work that he did on the cross. Okay? We're going to look at two scriptures for this. So if you go to Isaiah verse 50, uh, Isaiah chapter 53. And it's verse 5. And then keep a thumb in it and we're going to go uh, and jump to, to Peter. It says, but he was pierced for our, transgre- our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. So Isaiah is looking forward to the cross. If you go to 2 Peter 2.24... This is Peter now looking back to the cross. And this is what he says. No, it's not 2.24. Beg my pardon. One Peter. Thank you. Uh, it does actually say one Peter here. <laughs> I've just got confused. One Peter 2.24. Thank you very much, Melanie. 2.24. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Okay, so Isaiah is looking forward to the cross and says, You will be healed. Peter is looking back to the cross and says, you have been healed. Jesus took it all on the cross. He was actually made sin for you. You can read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so, I mean, this is just incredible when you kind of think about it because Jesus walked into the Garden of Gethsemane And he saw the cup of suffering that he was about to drink. And he looked in it and he saw all the sin of mankind. He saw the ugliness, the filth, the vileness, the foulness, the vice, the murder, the adultery, the the deceit, the stealing, and all the rest that is out there. And Jesus looked at all that sin and the Father said to him, it is my will for you to take this. Will you become sin for the world? And Jesus said, not my will, 
but yours. And he drunk it, and he became sin for us. But what these verses illustrate is it's not, it's not, it wasn't just the sin that he took on. Because it says that by his stripes we were healed, by his bruises we were healed. It says that he bore our sicknesses. And so he looked into that cup and not only saw all the sin, but he saw all the cancerous tumors. And he saw all of the sickness, the TB and the, the AIDS and, he, and all the gastric problems and the head problems and the mental problems and all of the stuff that is there. And he said, I will take that too. Father said, son, you've known no day of sickness at all, but I want them all healed. Will you be made sick for them? And he said, not my will, but yours. And so he took our place and bore our sicknesses that we might be made well. Now, the logic of this works is that if Jesus became sick for you and for me to be well, why would we at any point say that it was the will of God for me to stay sick? For any of us to stay sick? Because that would mean that Jesus died for nothing. That would mean that he took it and he needn't have taken it. That's what these scriptures are illustrating here. Because if God wanted me to carry sickness, why did he ask Jesus to carry the sickness? Yet this is a proof that God wants us to be healed because he doesn't want me taking what Christ has already taken. He doesn't want me bearing what Christ has already borne. I am healed by his rights. And then there's one last scripture that I just want to take us to, and it's in James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and we're reading from verse 14. It says, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. In fact, uh, your translation probably says you shall be healed or you will be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. There isn't anything more definitive than that. Listen to these phrases. It will save the sick. It will raise them up. Any sins will be forgiven. There is nothing indefinite about it. And it says if it's anyone, anyone in the church is sick, call for the elders. They'll pray and it will be, it will be, it will be. And the only key that is in this is making the prayer of faith. Now, the whole point of what I've done here in going through the scriptures is to illustrate that when we make this prayer of faith, it is not a blind leap into the unknown. God is a faithful God. God is a trustworthy God. I have faith in my wife, and it is not a blind leap of faith. I am not anticipating in any way, shape, or form that she's going to betray me or stop being loyal to me. And we can carry an even greater amount of faith toward our God, the healer. And so when we can come and make the prayer of faith, it is based 
all on the word of God. And the question is, is will we bend our worldview to match what the scriptures say or will we just allow it to match what our experience says? So just to recap the points. Firstly, God made man healthy. Secondly, he is the Lord, our healer. Thirdly, sickness was a curse of the Lord, not the blessing of the covenant. Fourthly, Christ saved us from the curse of the law. Fifthly, Christ came to do the will of the Father, and healing was part of that will. Sixthly, God told us to pray for his will in our life. Seventh, he linked the kingdom and the will um, <clears throat> and the will of God and healing together, and we've come into his kingdom. Therefore, we've come into his health. The eighth is that Jesus never viewed sickness as being from God. It was the devil's work. The ninth thing is that he, he, was, um, he healed everybody every time, everyone that came to him. There's not a single instance where a man went away sick. The tenth thing is that he actually died and took our sicknesses that we might be healed. And the eleventh is this. He said that if anyone is sick among you, call the elders and the prayer of faith shall make you well. That's 11 things. And I cut quite a few things out for the benefit of time. There is so much more in the scripture to illustrate the fact that God wants to heal today. It's not just that God can heal today, but God wants to heal today. And so the whole point of this morning is just to illustrate from the word of God and to build our faith. This is the will and purpose of God. Next week, what we'll do is we'll look at questions and we'll look at how we can actually pray for people and how we can receive this healing as well. What I don't want to do is having preached on this is miss any time or any moment or the opportunity where we could lay hands and pray for anybody that is sick in this room here. So what we'll do is we'll just invite the worship team to come back up. I just want to ask you all to stand if that's okay. And as, as we worship Jesus, I just want to invite anybody that wants to receive prayer for healing to come forward where we can come and pray, pray the prayer of faith and see you well. But Father, I just want to thank you that you are our healer. We thank you that the word of God comes and it is definitive of what your will is for us today in the realm of healing. We thank you for all the healing that we have seen. We thank you that we have been a people that have battled and battled and battled and we have seen victory. But Father, we are not satisfied with what we have seen. And we stand here before you wanting to have a, a greater revelation of what it means to be a people that live in the power of your healing. Father, we stand here and want to be a people that come and administer your healing mercy. Not just to our family, but to our colleagues and to our friends, to our family, to our communities. Lord, that we would see a glorious testimony of your power, of your grace, 
of your kingdom advancing in such a way that the, the gates of hell cannot prevail. Lord, that people would come into your kingdom, step into this, this reality where there is renewal, where there is redemption, where there is restoration. Father, we thank you for the work that you have done. For Jesus hanging on the cross, taking it all for us. But Lord, that that was not the end of the story. That Jesus came and he rose again. That we may live in the goodness of that which you have purposed. Father, we thank you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.